This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll and is part one of our Advent 2016 series. You know, I had a bittersweet moment earlier this week. I was with Father Rudy and his wife Mildred, and we were talking. Uh, Father Rudy, for those of you who may not know, he's one of our retired priests. And he's, he said to me, he said, Brett, because I'm getting older, I don't think I'm going to preach anymore. I think I'm done. And I want you to have some of my books. And it was an amazing honor to receive some of his books. It was, it was a sweet moment, but it was also sad to hear him say, I don't think I'm going to preach anymore. Now, for those of you who were here in the years when Father Rudy was more regularly preaching, you remember that he began every sermon with what? Cubs. He always talks about the Cubs. So, in, this is true whether it was in season or out of season. It works really well for sermons about perseverance or faith or despair. And I thought, uh, in honor to Father Rudy, I'll start the sermon today in the same way, which is perfect because today's topic is the end of the world. And I think you can all agree with me that now that the Cubs have won the World Series, we truly are in the last days, right? Amen. Now, I don't know if there were others of you who had the same thought as me, as you're sitting there at Game 7 in the bottom of the 10th after the Cubs scratched out their second out. They're one out away from winning the whole World, world Series. I wonder if others of you thought the same. Jesus is going to come back right now. I just know it. Well, he didn't come back. Instead, Brian threw to Rizzo, got the third out, Cubs win the World Series, and joy and jubilation broke out throughout Chicagoland and indeed the entire universe. I was sitting there thinking, is it okay for me to be this happy? Is that sinful? I don't know. This is just baseball. But there was a glorious moment that just washed over me and millions who were watching. But you know, when Jesus comes back at the end of the world, the joy for God's people, when we look into the sky and we see our Lord returning, that same feeling of watching the Cubs and saying, is this really happening? Is this actually real? It feels too good to be true, but no, it really is. This moment has come at last. That will be what it is like, only t times a million, mul multiplied infinitely greater in that moment of joy and celebration. Paul says in 2 Timothy, when he's thinking about the end, he's saying, I fought the good fight. I'm almost done. And now there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, referring to the, the last day. But then listen to this. He also says, but not only to me, Paul, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So if you're here this morning eagerly awaiting longing for the return of your king and the king of the world, for the final establishment of all that is right and true and good, and for the complete destruction of all that is evil. If you're longing and waiting for that, then like Paul, you're waiting for the reward that is coming. So today we're here to talk about three things. First, we're going to hear a little bit about what does the Bible say about the end of the world. Then in light of that, we're going to hear two ways to prepare ourselves for the end. First is to live rightly, sorry, to live ready, and the next is to live rightly. So we'll talk about the end, we'll talk about living ready and living rightly. So the end of all things. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent begins our liturgical year. 
And the scriptures that are read on the first Sunday of Advent are always about the return of Jesus to the earth, which will bring about the end of history and usher in the kingdom of God. And in, and in place of the, the age that is now, will usher in the last and the eternal age. So for Christians, the chief hope of the Christian faith is the return of Jesus. That's why we start the liturgical year not looking backward to the baby in Bethlehem. That, that's in a few weeks. We actually start the liturgical year looking forward to our destination. And it is our great hope. But in the midst of this great hope, our passage today delivers a strong warning as well. That day will not be a day of rejoicing for everyone. Not everyone will be eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, many will instead be spiritually asleep, and so that day will come upon them like a trap, Jesus says. So back to the Cubs. Now, you know that some people, and I won't name any names, but some people gave up on the Cubs. They went to sleep in the eighth inning when Rajay Davis from Cleveland hit a two-run homer to tie it up. I was talking to one guy, and again, I won't say who, but he said, yeah, you know, the, it's the way of the Cubs. They, they get so close, and then they blow it. So I knew they were going to lose. I went to sleep in the eighth inning. He went to sleep, and he missed the ending. You know, there are a lot of passages in the New Testament that talk about the end of the world. And as I was searching through all of them, I found out that common to all of them were these commands, these injunctives to stay awake, be alert, be watchful, be on your guard, be ready, be sober, don't fall asleep in the eighth inning. Why would Jesus and those who wrote the New Testament be so concerned about us falling asleep spiritually? But I think the answer is for the simple fact that it is possible to fall asleep spiritually and miss the boat, miss the kingdom of God. In our story today, Jesus likened it to the days of Noah. He said they were living life as, as they always had, never imagining the end would come. They were spiritually asleep, and the flood caught them unaware. They missed the boat. How many of you have ever had a long day down in the city, and as you're on the metro ride back, you fall asleep? And how many of you have ever had the experience where you not only fall asleep, but you in fact miss your stop? Now if you're with friends, and they're any kind of friends, they'll wake you up and warn you, hey, your stop is coming because they don't want you to miss home. So in our passage today in Matthew 24, it's as if Jesus is there on the metro gently rubbing your shoulder and saying, wake up, wake up. I don't want you to miss home. And the question that we all must answer today is this. Am I responding to His voice? Am I growing more and more alert and awake spiritually, or am I growing more and more spiritually sleepy? Which trajectory am I on? And to follow that up, we might ask ourselves, what are those things in my life that are like spiritual sedatives that are putting me asleep? They're drawing me away from the love of God and make me live in kind of a, a spiritual stasis or haze. What are those things? How can I be on guard against them? Because if we were to sum up the Scripture reading today, it's clear. Jesus is coming back, and you must be awake because you don't want to miss the boat. 
Don't be like Matt Woodley who fell asleep in the eighth inning of game seven of the World Series. Did I say I wouldn't name names? I did that at the first service. It's almost like it was scripted or something. So how do we stay spiritually awake? What do we do? We have to live ready, knowing that the end will come. We have to live rightly. All right, so let's talk about living ready. In verse 40, 44 of the passage today, Jesus says, very clearly, he says, you must be ready. It's not an option. You must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Why is it important that we don't know exactly when He will come back? That we know it's the end, and that the end could come at any time, but we don't know exactly when? Well, for the simple fact that this keeps us alert. Sort of like the difference between being in a class with a teacher who gives pop quizzes versus being in a class with a teacher who doesn't give pop quizzes. Being in the class with pop quizzes keeps you alert, reading the daily readings, doing the assignments, because you never know when the pop quiz would come. Jesus also uses examples in, in this story to illustrate that normal life will be carrying on as it always had. He points again to Noah. He said in those days they were eating and drinking, giving in marriage. And then also he talks about the two in the field and the two working at the mill. And his point is to say, people will be going about their usual business. Some will be in the field doing their work. Women will be at the mill. And then the end will come suddenly. Peter also warns against this in Second Peter. He says, now, there are some scoffers who will say, when is this end going to come that people talk about? The world keeps going on as it has ever since the dawn of time. And Peter warns them too. No, the end will surely come. Believe that. Be ready for that. And the end will come suddenly. Two men will be out in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be at the mill. One will be taken, and the other left. And by the way, the word taken there is, is not a negative thing like abducted. It's taken in a positive sense as come with me. I want to take you with me. We're going to the kingdom. So you want to be taken. A quick point here about individual death. Because our passage today is not about individual death, it's about the end of all time, the end of history. However, the principle still applies and is always relevant. It's true that only one generation, and maybe it will be our generation, but maybe not, only one generation will actually be alive when Jesus returns. All previous generations will not be eating and drinking and giving in marriage or out in the field or at the mill. All previous generations will be in their grave, but that's precisely the point, is you do not know when your death will come, when it will be your time. And it may not be the end of history, but it will be your personal end. But of course, the hope is that for those who die believing in Jesus, you have every hope. If you die believing in Jesus, you know that when He comes again, He will raise you to eternal life, which is why we celebrate death is really not the end for those who believe. But if you die not believing in Jesus, then you will be like those who were caught outside the ark when the flood came. And to speak quite frankly, this is talking about the reality of hell and eternal separation from God. No wonder we're called to sobriety and alertness. There is a finality when death comes. There is no turning back. 
So be ready. Even if we are not the last generation of history, we each individually must be ready because we do not know at which hour our time will come. So we live our lives in light of the end, keeping ready, watching for Christ. If you want to know one of the best ways to be ready and to watch for Christ, it isn't to go outside and to stand looking up into the sky. Actually, the best way to watch for Christ is to watch for Him now in your life every day. We can take a lesson from the first coming of Christ. When He was born as a baby at Bethlehem, many missed it. Some chose to ignore it, but a few others were there to welcome Him as a king. And there's a way in which there is a coming of Christ every day. Jesus comes to us and says, will you let me be the king of your life? Will you live your life according to my truth and my love? Will you welcome me in? He says in the book of Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is the coming of Christ every day. And if we want to be ready for his coming at the end of time, we must be looking for him now in our lives. I have a good buddy who's a, f a firefighter out in Colorado. And during the summer season, he transitions to be a forest fire firefighter. And he lives that whole summer season with a suitcase packed and ready to go because he never knows when the call might come and he has to be down at the station in an hour to be sent anywhere in the state or potentially anywhere in the western United States for several weeks at a time. And he doesn't want to be caught, unpacked, having to frantically throw everything in and accidentally leave out a toothbrush and then have to share a toothbrush with Rocco the firefighter for three weeks. Okay? He doesn't want that to happen. So he lives with a suitcase always packed through the summer season. What's beautiful about this is he also wakes up every day and he sees the suitcase and he's reminded of who he is and what he's waiting for. So live your lives ready, and, and perhaps what this means for you in this Advent season, to have a packed suitcase, to be watching for Christ and ready, it, it may mean a number of things, but perhaps it means for you pulling back on a few things. Maybe it means adding in a few things, spiritual disciplines. Maybe it means pulling back on something like entertainment. You know, entertainment by itself is not bad, it's not a bad thing, but kind of like sugar in the diet of your time you definitely want to use entertainment sparingly. But I think for us, the knee-jerk reaction, our go-to, our default is, if I'm bored, I want to entertain myself. Or if I'm busy, I want to escape and entertain myself. And the amount of time we spend watching TV or movies or browsing the internet or any other kind of media, it is lulling our souls to sleep. We're entertaining our souls to sleep. So it might be that this Advent, the Lord is calling you, pull back a little bit on your entertainment. A great rule of thumb that I try to practice is pretend like Jesus is with me and he's always saying, me before media. If you haven't been with me today and you sit down to check out Facebook, stop right there and say, you know what, if I've got time to look at Facebook, I have time to spend a few minutes with the Lord and wake up my soul. So perhaps as you're thinking about Advent and how you want to prepare yourself to be ready to have that packed suitcase, you might want to think about things like your entertainment. How often are you seeking to entertain yourself? How can you go to the Lord instead? This is how we live ready. This is how we stay spiritually awake 
and we can look forward to the coming of Christ with hope and not with fear that we'll miss the boat. So that's living ready. We must also live rightly. And in fact, they're tied together, of course, because living rightly is what helps keep us living ready. Earlier I mentioned the pop quizzes. The student who does well with a pop quiz is the student who is keeping up with the daily assignments and readings, being obedient to the teacher. The student who does not do well with a pop quiz is the one who says, I'll wait till the night before a scheduled exam, and then I'll cram. And Jesus is saying, live your lives with a pop quiz mentality. We were talking about being alert and watching for Christ, uh, but part of living rightly means also watching ourselves. In the parallel passage from Luke, same passage, but in a different gospel, Jesus adds a few extra words that I think are worth speaking here. After he says, watch for me, he also says, and watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. It's why Paul admonishes us in the Romans text that we heard this morning to cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Live your lives as children of the day because you belong to the day. It's a theme that he loves. He talks about it in Ephesians 5, where he says, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. So he says, because of this, live out your identity. He says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light don't you love that metaphor, the fruit of light? The fruit of light consists in all that is right and good and true. Right living, he said. And finally, he says, find out what pleases the Lord. Seek after these things. Find out what pleases the Lord. Try to discern what it is to live rightly. And here's where living rightly is so important to this idea of spiritual wakefulness. Living wrongly, or also called sin, or also called the works of darkness that Paul just talked about, living wrongly has this effect of causing us to fall asleep, making us confused about what is the truth exactly, confused, blind, and sleepy. Whereas the opposite effect of seeking to obey the commands of Christ brings this alertness to our souls and awareness of what is right and good and true. It's how we know what is right and good and true. But when we ignore the commands of God, then little by little, we grow sleepy, we go blind, and we can miss the way. I know from experience uh, what can happen when you're sleepy and you go the wrong way. So I was a little boy, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I woke up but wasn't fully awake. I was in this half-conscious stupor, and without going into detail, I'll just say that I really had to go to the bathroom, but because I was half awake, instead of going to the bathroom, I turned the other way and went into my older brother's room. And again, I was half awake, so I had this memory of his voice saying, hey, Brett, what are you doing? Brett, what are you doing? And again, without going into detail, I'll just say after that, I didn't have to go to the bathroom anymore. Now, if I had been fully awake, I wouldn't have done that, most likely. <laughs> so if you're hearing these words today, 
the words from Jesus, the words of the sermon, and, and you are starting to get nervous or anxious, and you're wondering, uh-oh, am I awake enough? Am I awake enough that, that I won't miss the boat? Let me just help you out a little bit and say that's not quite the right question to ask. As I said towards the beginning, the right question to ask is, am I growing more alert and awake? Or am I growing more sleepy? Which trajectory am I on? Which direction am I going? That's far more important because living rightly is not about living perfectly. God's not keeping score in the way you and I think about it. I know a minute ago I used the analogy of the pop quiz, but just to be clear, God doesn't give grades. He gives guidance to those who seek it. And the more important question is, which trajectory are you on? There's an author that I love. Uh, and he was loved by the likes of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. So if you like those guys, check this one out. His name is George MacDonald. And he wrote a story called The Princess and Curdie. In The Princess and Curdie, there are people and there are beasts, but what's interesting is some of the beasts used to be people, some of the people used to be beasts, and there's a continuum. And Curdie, the hero of the story, is given a magical ability that when he shakes someone's hand, he's able to tell, despite what they look like on the outside, whether they're human or a beast. And he's told that every person is either traveling beastward or humanward. And his special ability was to find out, who are you really? So again, the question is, are you growing more sleepy or are you growing more alert, more awake? in your soul. That's far more important than where exactly you're at. It's the trajectory that you're on. Because the good news is, no matter where you are, you might think that you're the biggest spiritual nobody. You might have walked in this morning pretty sure you're not even a Christian. It doesn't matter. Wherever you are starting at, if you desire to grow more awake, to walk with the Lord and to have Him give life to your soul, then He is so quick to help you. He is so ready to be at your assistance because He knows we can't do this on our own. I've talked about living rightly, but the truth is it's impossible apart from His help. He knows that we need His grace to guide us and to help us. On our own, we get sleepy, we get distracted, we, get, uh, we lose sight of the end, and we live to please ourselves rather than living rightly and seeking to please Him. That's what we do on our own. We need His help, and I found great comfort in these words from the psalm. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. You want to know what right living is? He will teach you if you ask Him. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble His way. And what's great is that we already have the next step laid out for us in the liturgy this morning. In a minute, we're going to say the confession together. And in the confession are these words that capture exactly the essence of this heart. We say, have mercy on us, have mercy on me, and forgive us, forgive me, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. So when it comes to that point in the confession, I encourage every one of us, not that you don't do this already, but pray that with all your heart. And then prepare to come to the Eucharist and prepare to be awakened in your soul by the presence of the living God. So let us receive the grace of the Holy Spirit to live ready and to live rightly. 
Awake and watching for our master's return, for we know him who says, Behold, I am coming soon. And we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.